0: The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Jesus left the region of Tyre again and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. They brought a man to him who was deaf and had a speech impediment. They pleaded with Jesus to place his hand on him. Jesus took him aside, in private, away from the crowd. He put his fingers into the man's ears then he spit and touched the man's tongue. After he looked up to heaven, he sighed and said, "Ephatha," which means be opened. Immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus gave the people strict orders to tell no one, but the more he did so, the more they kept proclaiming it. They were amazed beyond measure and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Jesus could heal this man the same way that Jesus drove out the demon. In the account right before this one in Mark's Gospel, he tells us about a Gentile woman who comes to Jesus and begs him, to drive the demon out of her daughter that has been tormenting this Gentile woman's daughter. And after Jesus gives this woman a very firm test of her faith, he just says to her, go, the demon has gone from your daughter. Instant healing, from a distance. Miracle, done, dusted, over with. And Jesus could heal this man the same way. The people in the crowd want Jesus to just lay his hand on the man and heal him and be done with it. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he takes this man away from the crowd, private. And already by doing that, Jesus is teaching this man something. You. You alone are my focus. I should be your focus. Me and you. I'm here for you. You're here for me. Now, just watch. And what does Jesus do then? Does he say something? Does he just set his hand on the man the way the people had suggested? He put his fingers into the man's ears See, the man can't hear, so with some kind of proto-sign language, Jesus tells him, something is about to happen right here. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Something is about to happen right here, too. After he looked up to heaven, see, what about, what's about to happen here, this is not a magic trick. This is not even medical science. The power for what is about to happen to you comes from above. He sighed and said ephatha and now mark gives us the exact syllables that our savior speaks unfiltered by translation when mark does this he is drawing us in tight as close to jesus as jesus is bringing himself to this man by speaking this word even though the man cannot hear jesus is telling him the power from above that is about to heal you it comes through what i say From above through me. So, if he wanted to, Jesus could have healed this man very quickly, impersonally. But instead, he takes him aside and heals him up close and personal. Immediately, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak plainly. Now, because Jesus heals this man, In this personal, private, vivid way, the man gets more than the ability to hear and speak clearly. And wouldn't you agree, if that's all he got on that day, that would have been a pretty good day. But that's not all he got. He also got to learn about the one who was healing him. And one of the things that he learns about Jesus who heals him is this. Jesus loves me and he cares about me up close and personal Jesus loves you and he cares about you up close and personal you know the Bible is full of passages that talk like this when Nicodemus came to speak to Jesus in the middle of the night Jesus told Nicodemus God so loved the world when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him he said look The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And St. Paul says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And those are beautiful Bible passages. There is such comfort in Bible passages like that. Because they tell you that Jesus died for, he forgives absolutely everybody in the whole world. Whether they believe it or not, God loves them and forgives them. And the beautiful comfort in that is, if the whole world is included in God's love, I have to be. He can't leave me out. And he can't leave you out either if he loves the whole world. And I can tell you, and I can, we can tell everybody out there without any doubt, God loves you. Jesus died for you. Beautiful comfort in those passages to know that the whole world is the object of God's grace in Christ. But you should also know that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, And when he walked on this earth perfectly, preaching and teaching, when he died for sins and when he rose from the dead, he was doing it just for you. You alone and you personally. Jesus is the Savior who sees the face of each individual human being, who knows each heart personally, who loves every soul individually, This is the Savior who numbers the hairs on your personal head. He is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to search for the one when it wanders away. This is the Savior who takes a man aside, in private, away from the crowd, to heal him just the way that individual man needs to be healed. Jesus loves the whole world, yes. He takes away the sin of the whole world, yes, but yours... Individually, personally, and to you personally, Jesus has spoken into your ears with the good news of his love for you. He has opened up your ears to receive the gift of his forgiveness. And he has straightened out your tongue, your individual tongue, to say to the world, He has done everything well. He most certainly does. He not only heals people, but He heals them up close. And personal, You know, this personal, individual care that God has for us shows, us shows itself in other ways, too. For example, if God wanted us to be with him forever in heaven, and he does, this is all he would have to tell us. Bullet point one. I made you human beings perfect, but you sinned, and you keep sinning, and you deserve to go to hell. Bullet point two. I loved you anyway, so I sent my son and he lived and died and rose for you to forgive your sins. Bullet point three. Now, through the good news that you just read in bullet point two, my Holy Spirit is coming to give you faith in your heart, so you'll be with me forever in heaven. If God wanted us to be with him, he could have written those three bullet points on a piece of paper, folded it into a plane, and floated it down to heaven, and we would have had everything we need to be saved and to be with God forever. He could have given us just that, Instead, he gives us a 1,800-page book. Why? Why so much information? Why teach us about his commandments in detail? Why teach us about prayer and predestination? Why tell us about the signs of the times and Judgment Day and what heaven is going to be like? Why teach us that Jesus ascended after he rose and And that he's still interceding for us before the Father. Why this big fat Old Testament. That's full of all this prophecy and history and poetry. Why give us four different accounts of our Savior's life. And his resurrection on Easter morning. Why so much revelation from God. Because we're individuals. We're all different. Now, of course, as Christians, we recognize the whole Bible, all of God's revelation is important, and it all comes from the Holy Spirit. But we're all different. We all learn differently. We all have different stories and truths in God's Word that connect with us as individuals. We all have our favorite sections of of poetry and prophecy, our, our favorite miracles from Jesus' life. This happens to be one of my favorites. I promise you, every three years that this comes up, you're going to hear a sermon on this story over and over and over again because I just love this story. This is one that connects with me. See, we go through different stages in life. We have different struggles, different joys, and there's something in God's Word to connect with everybody in every struggle, every joy, every different stage of life. Because He cares about us as individuals, God reveals Himself in this rich thorough tapestry of His Word. Now, I am not saying, please do not take this away from what I just said. I am not saying that we are all free to interpret the Bible any way that we want and make it say whatever we personally want it to say. Now, the message of God's Word is clear and it is consistent. It's just that He reveals it in this rich variety of ways for our benefit, the benefit of each individual person to learn and to grow in God's word. Because he cares about us personally, as individuals. And then, not only that, he goes and gives us something like communion. God didn't have to give us communion. His word would be enough. Why does he do that? Well, when you stand up in a group of Christians, you're surrounded by other people, and you hear somebody say, I forgive you all your sins. That's nice, isn't it? But there's 50, 60 other people there. It's not very personal. When you stand at the Lord's altar and you get Jesus' own body and blood in your personal hand and your individual mouth, then you know this is personal. This is just for me. See, Jesus showed up close, specific, personal care for that man when he took him aside. And he used that sign language and spoke that word. And Jesus takes every believer aside with his word and with his supper and gives them that personal, up-close care. Now, have you ever tried to get close to someone before and had them back away from you? That hurts, doesn't it? I want you to try to reimagine this story as if it had happened this way. Jesus takes the man aside, privately, away from the crowd. He puts his fingers into the man's ear, and the man jerks his head back and says, Get your fingers out of my ears. We just met you, weirdo. Don't touch me. I don't want you touching my ears. What do you think you're doing? Jesus spits, and the man yawns. Jesus looks up to heaven and the man rolls his eyes in that kind of teenager, can we just get on with it and get this over kind of way. Who would ever do that to a Savior who who longs to deal with them individually, up close, and personally? Who would ever do that? I would. You would. I have. You have. Jesus gives us this rich variety in his word for each individual Christian. He gives us that close variety personal forgiveness in his supper, and sometimes the attitude of his people is, ah, I don't really need all this personal stuff. I get it. You love me. I'm good with that. I can't really be bothered with, with all the rest of that. That's really dangerous and really spiritually wasteful. And it's an attitude that we need forgiveness for and We have forgiveness for it because we have a Savior who does all things well, who forgives all of our sins personally and individually. So now, as his people, may we cherish the personal care that he gives us, take advantage of his word and his supper where he takes us aside and cares for us up close. And because we have a God who loves us and treats us that way, Let's treat Him that way when we approach Him, when we speak to Him. For example, when we confess our sins to God, we can be personal about it, up close, specific. You know, when we confess our sins here as a group of Christians, we give a pretty generic, non-specific confession. I have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. Not very, And there's a good practical reason that we don't get very specific when we're in a group. Imagine if we went around and said, okay, now it's your turn to reveal your deepest, darkest, sinful secret. Would probably not help worship attendance very much. So when you're in a group, of course you kind of keep things general. But look, when you're confessing your sins, just you to God, or maybe just you to a fellow Christian and God at the same time, Why not get specific? Why not be personal about it? Say, God, you know the things that I failed with in my life, and you know this thing that is bringing me this greatest guilt. You know what I struggle with, what I need help overcoming in my life, and get specific with what it is. God, you also know what your son has done for me. I know you forgive me. Give me strength now to get past this sin in my life. You open your eyes from a personal prayer like that, you'll do it with comfort and strength to go forward in your life. You know, we approach God to confess our sins. We also approach God in prayer to ask him for things. Be personal when you do that. Be specific. There's nothing wrong with keeping it general. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus taught us to say that. That's a wonderful prayer. You know, St. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. If you want something specific from God, ask Him for it. Be personal about it. Once I served an elderly lady, she had reached the point in her life where she pretty much only left home to go to church and get groceries. Now, this was back in olden times when you couldn't have groceries delivered to your house. And she told me once that she had applied for a, a handicapped parking permit, and they denied her. They said, you're not disabled, you're just old. Being old is not a disability. Well, that kind of stung a little bit. So that had been years before. She never reapplied for a disabled parking permit because she didn't want to get yelled at again. So once when I was visiting her, she said, when I pull into the Piggly Wiggly, I pray And I asked God for a spot that's nice and close to the door. And then she kind of laughed at herself and said, Isn't that silly that I would waste God's time with something like that? It's not silly at all. That's exactly the kind of relationship you have with God. That's exactly the way that you can ask him for things. Look, if you want a promotion, ask God for what you want. You want your trick knee to stop hurting? Ask him for it. There are so many Christians right now who are struggling with anxiety and worry on so many different levels, and God invites us to cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. This story shows us just how much and just how deeply. Take advantage of it. Go to him in prayer and cast every anxiety, every worry on him. And finally, it's good to go to God in thanksgiving with this attitude also. It's easier to say, God... Thanks for everything. Amen. I get to live in one of the richest counties, in one of the richest states, in the richest country in the history of the world. Could I not maybe think of four or five particular blessings God has given me that I could thank Him for? That's the mindset, the attitude that my Savior has toward me. That's the mindset that I can go to Him to with all of my prayers, including my prayer of thanksgiving. Jesus takes a man aside in private, and with every motion that Jesus makes, every expression, with the word he speaks, he communicates to this man, I am here just for you, and I care for you personally. And with his word and supper, Jesus does that for all of his people. May we, his people, cherish his close care for us and live in its joy. Amen.